0: Welcome to episode 105 of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast. I hope you've been having a great, productive week. There's actually lots been going on for us since we last caught up, particularly with our current developments. If any of you follow me on Instagram, which is jerryalexander.commercial, you'll see the progress with the venue space that we've been developing out at our Dundee location. Everyone's been working really hard on getting that space finished, and in particular I want to give a shout out to Kyle for all his efforts over the last few weeks and months. And we actually had a date to get focused and we hosted a networking event there last Wednesday for the guys over on the Scottish Property Podcast, which if you haven't listened to you need to go and check out. There's nothing quite like a deadline, as I say, to push things on. It's really shaping up to be a great space. I really like it. It's got all the sort of things I like about old buildings. It's got cast iron columns, brick vaulted ceilings, stone built, line pointed walls. Recycle cast iron radiators and quirky industrial features from the past. It seemed only fitting that we put in a recycled timber floor. My favourite flooring or wood is pitched pine, so we put in a pitched pine parquet floor. I do know there was pitched pine in there before. I think that space was used as stables and there were some remnants when we uh, bought the building. It looks tremendous now, but just because it's a second-hand floor definitely doesn't mean it's cheaper than putting down a new floor. Just sanding it, treating it and varnishing it costs more than most new ones. It's totally worth it though. And as I say, if you want to have a look, just jump on Instagram and follow us at JerryAlexander.Commercial. Now we actually have a couple of extra spaces up there still to redevelop. One will end up as a communal space with a meeting room for probably around about 10 people, whilst the other will form an extension to our existing business lounge, quite a big one. I'll be keeping you posted with updates on that through Instagram, but also on the Facebook group. So if you haven't found that already, it's Facebook forward slash commercial property investor. And on there, you'll find a page, a link to a group. And when you click on that, you'll get asked a few questions. If you answer those, then you can jump into the group and you will find out what's going on with those projects. So let's crack on to today's content. As you know, I help a few commercial investors get started and develop portfolios in commercial. And a question that's popped up a few times recently is, does it matter if I invest locally or further away? In other words, I'm not sure the market's that good where I live. And what do I need to think about if I start investing at distance? This is a totally normal question, particularly when you're starting out. And of course, there's lots of loose ends, aren't there? There's lots of choices to think about. What sector should I invest in? What size of property? What's a good return? What is a yield? how much should I spend? And of course, where do I invest? Now you might be lucky and spot opportunities where you are. And for me, I am a strong advocate of investing locally. I once invested in a residential development a long way away and it taught me proximity can be really important. Why go all that way to get there when you're passing lots of opportunities that would be equal or better? I used to fly there. Sometimes drive, but fly there. And I'd be passing all these different projects, of course, that other people are doing. And it costs me time and money just to get there, let alone build the project. So let's cover off some things that could affect your decision. No matter where you invest, you must really get to know the market. Get under the skin to identify what are the mechanics or levers in that local market. If you're investing at distance, can you find the time to make the necessary commitment to travel. Some things can be done over the internet of course, but you need to see some eyeballs, particularly if you want to deal directly with those property owners for off-market deals, or at least the under market deals. They'll be much trickier to do if you don't have that face-to-face time. Not every meeting has to be in front of somebody, but you will find that it helps oil the wheels and make things work better. Also, is the agent going to spend more time or focus on the person on the end of a phone or the one turning up at the office regularly and to viewings? Ultimately, money talks, and once you have a deal over the line, they will recognise you're serious. But before that, you're going to have to work on a charm offensive to be able to get the agents to actually work with you at distance. And if you're investing in passive assets, with little active investment, either upfront or long term, that's operationally speaking, then investing at distance can of course work. And one of our investment grade properties I've only been to once in the last two years, so it is possible to get buildings that are quite passive. Others I visit though, maybe more on a monthly basis, bi monthly basis, and some I visit at least once a week. Because we're actively developing. I mean, remember, there are those three stages that I mentioned before to commercial investment and development. The first one is effectively buying passive investment grade assets. They already have a sitting tenant or very close to a sitting tenant. They have an income and you're basically paying a multiple of that income, that yield. The second one, though, is when you're looking at having an active strategy of perhaps asset management or redevelopment so the initial stage of buying the property asset managing either the current tenants or indeed the vacant spaces or indeed going through a whole redevelopment but that project does have a timeline that completes then the property ideally becomes more passive or the third one is the ongoing operational activities which, of course, has an upside. There's no point doing it if it doesn't. And that's really where our serviced office business and our operating business works. But you just have to remember, first stage is just basically passive-grade investments where, of course, the yield is going to be less. The second one is that active stage up front to get the asset into a better position. Or well, the third one is the ongoing operational activities. And they will have an influence on where you work. So if you're listening in London, Should you be investing up north in the less expensive areas? Or if you live up north, should you be investing in the lucrative south? (laughs) The grass is always greener, right? I know investors who've gone either way and it can work just fine. But the most significant question to be asking is, what do I want? What outcome am I seeking? Then the investment area, the asset choice will become clearer. It's all about the investment criteria, isn't it? It's that investment criteria that's unique to you. Are you seeking stability and willing to accept a lower yield to achieve it? Or are you seeking asset management opportunities to build your wealth? Because you can add value to the property, not just buying an income. Is the fun and the joy of the project or simply a financial transaction to you? Some investors I speak to just love the whole process, the ferreting around, the chase, the negotiation... And then the creativity of developing a site to maximise the potential return. People get a lot of satisfaction from that. I know I do. And all these questions that I'm posing here will affect your decision-making process. Whatever area you pick, building relationships is key. You could say even more so when looking further afield, because those individuals need to be your eyes and ears as to what is going on and what is changing. Markets are always shifting. And if you're not there for six months or a year, you will miss changes that are going on. An example right now is that of local town centres. You may or may not have noticed, but in some market towns, maybe not all of them, but quite a number of them, the retail units that were vacant a year or so ago have been quietly filling up. Some of these small towns actually don't have any vacant units left. This might well be driven by the hybrid model working, people working from home more and local shopping habits adjusting to suit that. And certainly the new occupiers are tending to be independents rather than chains, an exception maybe being some of the branded convenience stores. But those dynamics are happening right under our noses right now. And it might be that if you're not close enough to that town, you're not going to be able to recognise what's going on. Just a thought. If you do decide to go for investing at a distance, then an option is potentially a joint venture. But trust is so critical, of course. You need to set the parameters very clearly at the start, including the exit options. Over the years, I've had different partnerships and watched others. Some work beautifully, but others have become mired in disagreement and unhappiness when the different parties start to move towards different directions. You know what it's like. It's a natural part of life. Priorities change for people. The important thing is to be open and honest about this up front. Discuss it. Recognise that that might happen, even though things look absolutely perfect and rosy right now. And put in the agreement, some mechanisms to allow exit to happen should things change. You'll be grateful for it later. But anyway, joint ventures is definitely a way of dealing with that distance thing because you've got somebody with the boots on the ground. Another influencer on whether you should invest locally or distance is your strategy type. Although I would say this comes from your initial conversation with yourself about what you're trying to achieve, it might be that you want to focus on shops and uppers or changes in planning rules such as permitted development, which is a UK phenomenon for those that are based overseas where... Certain planning issues have changed in England, which allow some types of development or change of use to go ahead under permitted development without necessarily having to go and ask permission. This is not the case in Scotland where I'm based, so you might exclude Scotland from your search if that was something you're looking at. Just as an aside, what that has done is underpinned a lot of commercial opportunities price-wise with a residential valuation in England therefore making properties relatively more expensive. Whereas in Scotland, this isn't the case. So it hasn't distorted the market as much as it has in England. Whatever part of the world you're in, I'm sure there will be regional, state and national variances. And whatever those variations are, it might affect your geographical investment focus. So you have to think about strategy as well. Once you've actually identified what that strategy is going to be and where it's going to work. Is it horse before cart? It's difficult to work at which one you're doing first, of course. Now, let me just run through a few other advantages to investing at distance. It should force you to systematise things and take on partners or service providers that are there to sort out the local market. And that should allow you to be a bit more hands-off. It should therefore lean more towards that passive side of investing. The thing is... If you're somebody who likes to keep your fingers on the pulse on on everything, you might find that really difficult and you have to recognise that in yourself. Is that something I'm going to be able to do? And I might force you to do it, but it might come to breaking point before you let go, of course. But only you will know that. You will be less likely to be tempted to drive, by your prized assets every time you're out about, of course, and concentrate on more family oriented things and normal life, right? But for me, the challenge is have been actually spending longer hours away from family, not being able to just sort out minor issues close to hand. And whilst going through the development stages, not being on site as often as I would like, I I like to be involved in that process. Maybe the team don't necessarily want me meddling as much, but I like to be involved in that process, particularly when we're redeveloping older properties, because you can spot challenges before they become too expensive, because every project's different, right? But also opportunities to tweak what you're doing before they're missed. Part of that mix, of course, is what personality type you are, as I say. Do you like getting stuck in? Is that a problem or part of the joy you get from playing this game? It's all very well focusing on the financial output, but sometimes you need to think about some other things and other benefits to you personally, whether they be mentally, physically or even educationally. I love to feel I've done something, contributed something. And being involved in the building process gives me that feeling. Okay, sometimes it's swinging a hammer and bashing something down. Sometimes it's maybe helping build something up. But in general, it's more to do with the design for me and developing out space to be the most efficient it can be. So I do get involved sometimes. And I think that should be allowed. Don't feel that... Getting involved in that process is a bad thing because certainly on social media and things they would suggest that if you are getting involved in the day to day, then you're not doing the right thing. But some of you might find solace in getting involved in some of that activity because actually the administrative and the background work doesn't give you the same satisfaction as sometimes just getting out there and getting involved and being part of that creative process. That's just personally speaking, may not be that way for you. But I think if it is something that you benefit from, then don't exclude it from your calculations of what you're doing at distance or locally. So if you're just getting started, right, the most important thing is to pick an area, (laughs) whether it's local or further away, and invest your time in studying that market. Ideally, it would be closer to home. And the lessons you'll learn in there will form a great education and give you lots of context. Working with mentees has proven to me time and time again that it's a definite benefit to go through the process with active deals in a geographically tight area, whether you're ready to buy or not, that is, because the learnings will set you up to know what a good deal is when it comes along. And it gives you a much better negotiating position because you now know Inside, what is going on with that market and similar units and class types? Whereas, if it's just the first one or the first couple that you're looking at, you've not maybe got that understanding and deeper level understanding of what's going on in the market and therefore the confidence to talk about your position. We all know the phrase, the grass can be greener elsewhere, of course, and perhaps on this occasion you might be correct. And if so, then think through how that will impact your investment criteria. If you feel that your area is just no good, which I would argue about, but just no good for your strategy or what you want, then just think through your investment criteria. It could affect your time input, the potential yield, and push you more towards passive investments if you go looking at distance, which might, of course, be exactly what you're after anyway. But it's funny. Really, people do focus almost exclusively on that financial return, as I was just saying, when working on assessing out potential projects. But more seasoned investors do realise there are other costs and potential returns. So remember to quantify not only the potential income or upside, but also about the time use, travel costs, your mental and physical returns, and the extra risk management you'll need for working at a distance. The extra protection for if anything should go wrong. So apologies, I've not given you... specific answer about yeah if you're based in London you should be investing up north and if you're up north you should be investing in London or if you're in Manchester you should be investing in Paris. Okay I've not given you that answer because it's different for everybody right but hopefully what I've gone through here will just prod you in a few areas for you to think about how to make that decision. Incidentally if you're not entirely sure don't sit on the fence forever and do nothing, because you can't work out whether it's going to be local or further away. If you do a project, and then decide the location doesn't quite work for you, then no big deal. Take it as a learning for the next one. Are you only going to be doing one commercial, or are you going to be doing lots? And just work out a way to mitigate the risk when you're doing that project, at least a little bit, by making sure there's multiple exits on any of those deals that you're doing. Because if it does get to a point where actually the distance doesn't work or indeed locally it's not working for you, then if you've got multiple exits lined up, then there's a potential of getting out of the deal. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast. If you get a chance, jump on and give us a positive review on iTunes or whichever platform it is you use. And when you're on there, don't forget to subscribe. We've got some great interviews lined up covering lots of different topics, including alternative finance, Investing at a younger age Project case studies And some interviews with some people Who have some super effective niche strategies That you don't want to miss out on So thank you so much for your continued support And for listening in And remember the most important thing Is to get out there and get in the swim